0: Um Pastor Kevin is going to come up. We're starting a new series today called Who Are You? It's going to be all about our identity. So if you didn't uh, grab one of these name tags, most of you did, it looks like, on the way in. This was an idea we had. So for the next like couple of months while we're doing this series, we're going to have these name tags out. with. Uh, we'll ask you to put your name down, a great chance to meet some of those around you, right? Start to lock in some of those names. And also... Yep. To, uh, to get to know each other a little bit. So the question of the day today was... It's, it's very appropriate. And first, I just, before we get into that, I just want to say, as our executive pastor, I am so grateful for this guy. And so grateful for the work that you do, Luke. We are really thrilled. And, in saying that, I also want to just go into that and just ask you. So you have Luke on your tag. Yep. We said put the high school you graduated yeah. from. Mm-hmm. What? High yeah, school? so Fargo South High School, Fargo, North Dakota. Anyone? No. Okay. Great. Anybody know where North Dakota is? <laughs> Anyone know <where> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's good. Beautiful. And I. <clears throat> I uh I graduated from Guilford High School. Guilford. In Rockford, not Minnesota. Rockford, Illinois. Oh. Man. Chicago area. Chicago Cub fan. That Rockford's explains it all, the right there? Chicago area. No, that we don't want to yes. go there. <laughs> We would love, and we were the Vikings. What were you guys? Oh, we were the Bruins. The Bruins? The Bears, yeah. Oh. Our colors were brown and yellow, which was really unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> we were purple and yellow. Purple and, and yellow yeah. We were the Vikings, the so, Vikings. I, that's great. so I'm a Viking fan to this day, um, and, and we would love for you to take time, see a name, ask them what high school they went to. I saw someone who put for their kids, say haven't been in high school yet, on my way. So <laughs> that's great. That, that that's sounds great. good, too. You that's can. Great. The one you're going to go to. Thanks, Luke. Go get him Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, we're really excited to be able to get into this series. I'm really excited to share with you about this. Who are you? And it is a, a critical, critical question to ask. Who are you? And we're going to find that in Ephesians, as we go through Ephesians chapter one through three, that is the basic question that Paul is asking and, and answering because it's so important in life. Now, it's not just a religious question. And if you are asking and maybe wondering, who are you in Christ, and you just kind of go, I'm not really even sure what that means, I just want to encourage you, that's what we're going to take some of the next few weeks to talk about. What does it mean to be in Christ? But it's not just a religious question. In fact, it's an existential question. There is a group called The Who. Anybody heard of Peter Townsend? And the song goes, who are you? Doot, 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 come on, you know what I mean, right? Who are you? Do, 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 do You know, if you've watched CSI, it's the opening one because they're always trying to find out who is this person who has you know been murdered or what's you know suicide whatever happened. They're trying to figure that out because it is it's vitally important to know that question and have that answered. In fact, some of you have um, this last week or so have had kids who go to school, right? If you are starting a, a child in kindergarten. They often have a list of things they want you to know or things that your kids should know. And there's two of them that are important. The question, who are you? And whose are you? They want you to know the child's name. The child needs to know their name. And they want often for them to know the parent's name. Understanding of kind of whose they are and who they are. And so when we look at the word of God, it, it just makes perfect sense for every one of us who are starting in our faith and growing in our faith, that it's really important that that first question, when we're kind of in the nursery school of our faith, to just be able to answer, who am I in Christ? Whose am I in this world? Because navigating the world, it's vital to have a sense of the incredible love that God has for you in the holiness that he draws you into. And the kind of relationships that he wants to establish. The kind of bond that he wants to have with you. That he wants to see show up in your home. In your marriage. Or in your family. Or in your friendships. In all those different places. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. And I'll tell you honestly right now. We're not going to get through this verse today. Okay. Next week. I will be doing the message with Peter Kapsner, and um, I am excited to do that. We'll cover a bit of this in, in that passage, as well as we'll get into the first, like, verses 3 through 6. But today, I really want us to um, look at the city of Ephesus and have an understanding of what the church knew about who they were in that city. And I want us to understand, as we move into this identity of Westgate, who we are and what we're capable of what you're capable of in the world around you. Let's read this together. I'm going to ask you to read it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I invite you to reveal more of who you are to us to bring glory to Jesus and for Jesus, the Holy Spirit you sent to have freedom to move in our hearts individually and as a church family and body and our family with other church families that seek you, who are in you for the purpose of bringing the presence of God Everywhere we go in this world, in establishing your kingdom. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so as we get into this this uh, series today, it, it's just important that we look at this question. And one way to be able to kind of say who you are is to hold up a mirror. Because when you hold up a mirror, you have an opportunity to see something about yourself, at least from the physical standpoint. Sometimes your face can even show your internal state, right? And so as we do this, the first thing I wanted to do was just kind of hold up a mirror to our city. We're Minneapolis suburbs, St. Paul, this this whole metropolitan area. And if you hold up a mirror, there are some wonderful things. We're a city of lakes. Minneapolis means that. Appleus being city, mini meaning water. City of lakes, it's beautiful. There are bike trails. Often it says this is a really good place to live. We see those in the reports that come out. There's good education here. There's places to find work and to um, be employed. There's a lot of good things. We We have a town that has a lot of different sports teams as well, correct? And we have a lot of hope this year in these sports teams, right? We're still hoping the twins might do something, correct? We have lots of hope in the gophers potentially this year. We have hope in the Vikings. In fact, is there a Green Bay fan in the house? Oh man, I just so I feel so bad for you today. Um, I mean just think about it. All the you know, the Timberwolves are on the verge of being something. You have the lynx and you you have the loons, which and, and then you have The wild. We're looking forward to a wild sea. I mean, I could just go on. We have all those wonderful things, but if you were to look at our city the way that many outside of our city lately has seen our city, in fact, internationally even, you will see that there are many who will see it as a city that is filled with anger and violence and crime and fear and loneliness and depression. Did you know that there's a crime dashboard that our city keeps track of? It, it, you have this crime dashboard, and, and this is what it is, an example of it. And it, it just continually says what the next, you know, they have a list of crimes and if it's happening. And you see the blue arrows? We're way up. We're way up in our crime dashboard. And I got to thinking about it. Wouldn't it be interesting? Well, or, or if you went to school and you could have a loneliness dashboard. Or as you go to work in, in the places that you maybe connect or if you work at home or ho- however that works and you're connecting people, you had a, a kind of fear dashboard or a loneliness dashboard. You have whatever it is, you could begin to kind of see as you held up a mirror what you looked like. You can hold up a mirror and you can look at yourself as well personally and we're gonna look at that in the weeks to come because some of you as you hold up a mirror and you look at yourself, you may see yourself as being a person who is a failure. You may put a label on your head, loser. You may see yourself with little significance. You may be um, not as influential as you'd hope and like to be or as kind in understanding as you would want others to feel you. In fact, you may look at yourself and realize you're consumed with me far more than you're consumed with anyone else. You could hold up that mirror and some of you can see yourselves as just trying really hard. You're kind of wanting to make the grade. You see that maybe not just in relation to others, but in relation to God going, boy God, I'm just, I'm doing my best. But I want to share with you, if you hold up the Word of God, the mirror of Scripture, <clears throat> it gives you some reality of what is true in us. But here's the coolest thing, and you'll see it as we get through Ephesians. When you are in Christ, even though what is true within you, God says that instantaneously the way he sees you is who you are through his eyes. And that makes a whole world of difference. And I, I want to go into this because I can't right now, but we will It changes motivations. It changes your ability um, to be able to walk into places with a greater sense of calm. You begin to start to realize, you begin to live in the reality of that. Now, this is another message. I I want to get into it right now, but I won't. Discipline, Kevin. What I want to share with you today is about the fact that we as a people and this will happen as we individually, but also we as a people, as we are this identity called Westgate, we have the ability as a church to truly change our city. We have an ability as the church, the people of God in this entire city. We have the ability to change the identity of this city. We have the ability, because it tells us in the word of God, and Paul makes this very clear. If you take Acts 19, and you'll need to read through that, and I encourage you to please read through it, and then you take it with Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, especially even going through chapter 6, you will find that God does this incredible thing. When Paul came to that city, there were only 12 other people there at that time, and those 12 other followers didn't even know about the Holy Spirit of God. And he... Explain to them about the power of the Holy Spirit and what it meant to really live in Christ because that's part of what it was. And in three years, this city was rocked and transformed. So Paul writes this letter, possibly what they would call a circular letter. By that it means it wasn't something round. It was that it was sent to Ephesus and then it would go to all the other churches in the area. Remember, they didn't meet in churches like this. They met in house churches. So when he would talk about the church of Ephesus, he was probably talking about many little churches. But there were churches in Ephesus and Colossae and other other cities around there, smaller ones that we wouldn't even be aware of. It's not even mapped today because they don't exist. And this letter went to Ephesus and then went all the way around there and it came back to Ephesus. Earliest manuscripts doesn't say to the saints, and catch that, we're going to talk about saints, that's you, Okay, to the saints, specifically, and it says in Ephesus, and it adds Ephesus because that's probably where this letter ended up. Probably started there, went all around, and ended there. But Paul didn't say in Ephesus probably in the first manuscripts because he was wanting to make sure that the church at large in that area understood these basic truths. So Paul writes it, he's writing from Rome, he's in prison, he himself is locked up and yet his identity is still incredibly powerful knowing who he is in Christ he writes this many believe around 6062 just a few years later um, he's executed and he writes to this place Ephesus into this area because he actually spent two times um, more of his life in that city than any other city when he was traveling around planting cities He stayed there longer than any other place. And so it's important for us to know if we're going to understand how God can transform a city and what he does to understand a little bit about this city, Ephesus. It's so important to have the background. When you study God's word, I just want to encourage you. It does make it difficult if you don't have some background. So I encourage you, if you're a new believer or you're beginning your faith or you really are feeling prompted, maybe for the first time to start reading, there are so many tools. You can get Bibles, study Bibles that help you understand those things. And I encourage you to do it. Get involved in a small group. Get involved where you talk about God's word. But the first thing I want to share with you about Ephesus... And it was a, a um uh, it was in modern day Turkey. In fact, if you don't mind putting that map up right now, so I could just show Ephesus is as you see here, so if you go up to this um I'm gonna look like you okay, upper left-hand corner, that's Rome. That was kind of the extent part of the world. It actually went into Spain as well, but Rome was kind of the center of that part of the world. And then if you go over to the eastern side, all the way down to Caesarea, Jerusalem, the lower right-hand corner, you'll see that goes into Egypt and, and also trails into other parts of the world. If you go up to that 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 other corner where it says Philippi above Ephesus, there's the Silk Road that would go to Iran, Iraq, India, um, Asia. I just read a book on Genghis Khan. It's amazing how they would just take that Silk Road and they would travel through these places. What's important to understand about Ephesus is Ephesus was a large city. It was about 250,000 people. And you don't think maybe in our standard city that's really large. But there's 250,000 people in a pretty small geographic area. It was the fourth largest city in the world at that time. And not only that, as you can see here, in modern day Turkey, it was on the coast and it was a port city. And so as a port city, it it, it was a a center for all kinds of traffic from all the different areas that would go from Ephesus to Corinth. Corinth was a newly built city in the last about 100 years in that time. And it was kind of the San Francisco of their day. So if you read about Corinth, just think of you know, Silicon Valley, it's, its things exploding with wealth in Corinth, but that the line so often was from Ephesus to Port City to Corinth up to Rome, and there was just a lot of commerce that would take place between these areas. And it also, because it was a port city, and so many things would be traveling to different parts of the world from Ephesus, it had a really good road system. The Roman road system was incredible, but in their area specifically, it was really good. And in fact, um, that road system was such that uh, in, in some places, they, um, would, would, the roads were actually uh, marble. I was uh, studying in the Middle East for a period of time, and I did some study in Ephesus. And you would go in Ephesus, and some of you maybe have been there and traveled there. You've seen they have these rock roads in, in the old city that... Um, that you look at with all these ruins and stuff and, and you'll see in the roads grooves, ruts that are made from the wheels of chariots that would just go over them again and again. I mean, we're talking, about, think of this, stone, hard rock with ruts that have been etched out over years. And so, Um, One person writes about this city, this city says, goods from Rome in the western part of the Roman Empire came into Ephesus and were taken by land to the cities of the east. Whatever was manufactured in the eastern cities of Asia Minor was loaded on boats in Ephesus and shipped to Rome. Everything went through Ephesus. It was such an important city that all the mileage to the cities of the interior were measured from Ephesus because everybody traveled through the city. It was a wealthy city. Makes kind of sense. This this large metropolitan area with a port city with great road systems is also wealthy. As a trade center, it would probably be that way because you can tax things, you can sell things and, 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 and become a city with its own commerce. It was necessary then as a result of that that they would have Lots of wealth, and and people would have it. They would actually, um, archaeological digs will show in homes marble floors. And these marble floors, some of them, not this one, but some of them were actually inlaid with gems. So people were putting like sapphires and rubies and pearls and all kinds of things in the floor. Can you imagine? That's wealth, right? Things that you think were really prized and wealthy are things you can walk on. Like someday heaven is a place paved with roads of gold. So here's this very wealthy city with these mosaic floors. It was also an entertainment hub because where there's wealth, there's lots of entertainment. Ephesus was a sports crazed, arts crazed, entertainment center. And that's the way it is when you have a lot of industry, a lot of wealth. A lot of people passing through it had a great athletic facilities it had a full-size sports arena and they would have multiple prestigious sports events in that city throughout the year that would bring people from all over and there's one called the pentelopian games which brought all kinds of people to it and then there was what is called a large theater district I think I have a picture of that there That seated 25,000 people I remember going. I was standing down in that area Where all those people are And looking up 10% of that metropolitan area Could fit into that place And they would have incredible arts And theater And and things like that going on It was also an intellectual center You bring together commerce and wealth And sports and all these different things It, It boasted one of the largest libraries In the world and uh, there's pictures of the libraries it's just the ruins of it. it was it was a huge library and and you think about libraries today we don't think about how how expensive it was to have they didn't have manuscripts they had these scrolls and targums and, it, and you just it was expensive to write that's why you know when you look at some of the letters of Paul he's writing some expensive letters That's why Luke said to one of his guys, he said, would you fund me if I write a gospel of Luke and a a book called Acts? And so this place had all kinds of these expensive books for people to read because it was an intellectual center. And it also then developed one of the um, most premier medical schools, specifically in optometry and uh, anything to do with the eyes. And Ephesus was also then a highly spiritual city. With people flowing in and out of it, it would became a it had this kind of multicultural flavor. And whenever you have a port city, you have the latest religious trends that are coming into that city. And so in that city there is believed to be fifty different deities that were acknowledged or expressed. But catch this, there was only one that had deep significance that not only controlled Ephesus, but the whole area. Not just of Asia, even that it says in Acts 19, I think it's verse 26, it also tells us that through Rome and other places, this god named Artemis, this goddess, known in Rome as Diana because of the power that this god had, was the most single greatest influence in this city. And uh, as you look at this, archaeologists will just... Uh, they uncover um, they uncover these little um, like small trinket idols that they would have they um, had statues they had etched and engraved pictures of Artemis she was a fertility god and she promised to protect those who especially women who were in in labor etc and as a fertility god if you go around they'll, even to this day if you go there they'll, they'll sell you these little trinkets and she has just multiple breasts it's this is incredible hairdo It goes like beehive thing it goes way up and, and so here is this highly spiritual city, pretty much ruled by Artemis, so much so that her temple, they don't even have pictures, that it, was, it's, it, it was so large and stood out, that's what you saw when you came to that city. It was breathtaking, with 127 marble pillars, many of them covered with gold and studded with jewels from kings from all around the area. It was one of the wonders, uh, seven wonders of the ancient world. And, and they would, in a sense, have a monthly, once a year, monthly celebration, probably similar to like our Christmas for a month, think about it. It's like the state fair on steroids. With all the wealth, everything else going on, this was what everyone pointed to. In fact, much of its wealth came from there. And just a few blocks down, archaeologists have found there was a huge brothel. So not only was it this spiritual city, it was really a sex-crazed city. They show this, and they, there's signs that point to how to get to the brothel in the city. I remember seeing they pointed it out when we were studying there. And so you see this city, and it's pretty amazing. One additional um, thing that's important to understand about it, this city was world famous for its practice of the occult, witchcraft, black magic, white magic, divination, seances, and even an ancient kind of Ouija board. So in short, that's probably all you need to know about Ephesus right now, right? Ephesus was the leading sex-crazed, demon-worshipping city for the multicultural, filthy rich in the ancient world. And if we think we're living in a lost and in some ways immoral, abandoned culture, I don't know if we can even compare to that. And, And we kind of sometimes lose track of what has happened in history. And then to think of this, think of this. Hold a mirror up to that city. Hold a mirror up to our city. And in three years, Paul and some people who were living out the presence of God, speaking Jesus, transformed an entire city. In three years. Acts 19 tells us that Paul came to Ephesus, found these 12 followers, and neither, none of them had heard about the Holy Spirit. They pray, they received the Holy Spirit. One commentator writes this. He says, what happened in Ephesus was a seismic shift in people's faith. And, and then he writes, for quite some time, within those three years... People were beginning to follow Jesus, but they kept their books and their black magic and their casting spells. They kept celebrating regular holidays to Artemis and the fertility goddess, because after all, you have to keep yourself covered, right? It's kind of like, Jesus, I'm committed to you, I'm following you, but I'm still going to hold on to these other things. I'm not going to really let these things go. Until you read in Acts 19 at one point, there is a massive repentance and people go, you know what? The most important thing in this world is that I let go of all those other things and I grab hold of Jesus with all my heart and I begin to follow Jesus with all that I can be. I begin to speak Jesus to people. I begin to carry the presence of his love, not judgment, his love, his kindness, his mercy, his goodness. Well, we're going to start to penetrate the city with, with little is everywhere. And they decide to say, you know what? Whatever I'm holding on to, and I just encourage you as I'm speaking right now. Whatever you're holding on to, and you're going, you know what? I'm holding on to Jesus, but I'm still holding on to this. You know, I'm really gonna my security's in this, or where I still need this, and and I, I this 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 sin is still grabbing hold of my disordered heart. And you, and you just say, well, Jesus, today I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, I don't. Know that. I just know by what is being said, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and He's saying, let it go. And it's not so easy to just let it go. It means, in letting it go, sometimes it means you need to talk to someone who you deeply love and trust and say, you know what, I need to share with you. I want to let this go and I want you to pray for me. And, and here are these people beginning to say, after they'd heard about Jesus and had begun to walk with him, they turned. And repentance isn't just the only really bad and sorry. Oh, you know, man, I'm just, it's about saying... I'm going to let go of this. I'm going to grab hold of this with all my heart. And they had this massive book burning. It's where you get the book burnings. There's a lot of bad stuff around that. So I'm not talking I'm talking about they took all their black arts and their magic books and all the things they knew that were just dragging them down. And 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 we're told historically that was worth about 6 million dollars. Of books. And they weren't doing it to try and control other people's thoughts. They're not trying to do it in order to control a culture. They were doing it because they said, Jesus, these things that I have in my life, I just got to let go of. Because if I'm going to hold on to those, I can't grab you fully. And when a church and when a people... Begin to start saying, God, we want you more. And every time they come to church on worship, it's not about putting in time, checking off a balance, you know, saying, God, look at this, huh? I'm trying really hard. As you get this new understanding, God sees you, He loves you, He's not worried about you trying any hard. You don't have to try harder anymore. Jesus did it all. Alright? The word grace is not about, it, you know, you still have effort and you try. It's not that you try to be accepted. It's about the fact that you can't earn God's acceptance. So now you come and you just say, God, I am here. And the reason I'm here today is because I want more of you. I want more of you when I meet with people in the small group. When I take time to get alone, it's not because I'm trying to, you know, get some brownie points by reading your word. It's because I just want to be living more with you. I want to let go more in my life so that I can grab more of you. And what's so interesting about this is they go through this and they start to do this. God begins to revolutionize what's happening in this city. And as he says, the people, this author says, were realizing when you come to Christ, you get rid of all that other stuff in your life and you go all in for Jesus. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And people started repenting. And we find that Paul is about ready to leave that town. It's about three years in, in this massive revival is just starting to happen. And he's just about to leave town. And there's a guy who's really politically well-connected and pretty wealthy. His name Demetrius, who is a little bit upset right now because people are no longer going to the temple Artemis. They're no longer buying their gold trinkets, which their whole economy was based on. And he gets really upset and really angry and gets some of his other buddies together. They go to that temp, that, that, that art center that seated 25,000. And it says in Acts 19 that the whole stadium was filled with people who began to shout for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Think about it. They were doing the way. They were worse than what I would call European soccer fans. They were just going crazy. Because people started letting go of these things and started just worshiping Jesus. They became little gates of the presence of God everywhere they went. We are not adopting a name Westgate because we're trying to be cool. <laughs> Not at all. In fact, anybody that says, you know, you shouldn't be using the word gate. That's not true. The reason we're using this name is because Jesus is the gate that leads us in the presence of God. And we really want to make an impact here in the West and everywhere else in the world. And we also know that since Jesus is the gate, he's the head, we're the body. You, every one of you have the ability by the grace of God when you get to understand who you are in Jesus you have the ability to bring the presence of God wherever you go and I've been just so struck in my heart as I've been just leaning into this and sensing God leading us into this new era of what God can do he can change your family he can change your marriage and he's not just going to zap it. He may just prompt you right now and go, you know, we need to get counseling. And God, through godly counseling, can be, there are steps that he calls you to take, okay? But we can be a people in the West who, connected to the head, we are the body of Christ. And then Jesus looked around he said, I'm the light of the world, but you, he says in Matthew, are the light of the world. And go everywhere in the world and let people see through your good works that they can, through that, they praise God, their Father in heaven, right? And so as you look at this, and I think of the Westgate, and I think of the fact of what God can do through us and what he can do through other churches, I I just was struck and continue to be struck with the fact that he wants more of us, folks, than just faith in Jesus. He wants more of us than just faith in Jesus. I believe God wants us to also do what Jesus told us to do, and that is to exercise the faith of Jesus. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like in your life, but Jesus said this. He said, um, I tell you the truth. Well, I think it's interesting. Whenever, God says, whenever Jesus would say, I tell you the truth, he's not saying it because, you know, sometimes I lie to you. <laughs> that's not what's going on. It was an expression that said, if there's something you can bank on that has eternal core truth to it, this is it. So he's looking at you right now through me. And he's just saying, this is what Jesus said. You can bank on this. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I'm doing. That should hit you a little bit, you know, you can go, there's no way. He's calling us in situations around us to exercise the faith of Jesus. For two years, God led me to pray through that whole COVID thing and, and through about when, about, just about last spring. He led me to pray every morning. One of the, I have a prayer, one of them that is today I will watch you work. In through and around me. And it was like Jesus was just saying. I just want you to watch. I'm doing it all. You, You just need to get it. Whatever happens. I'm doing it. And then he started leading me to pray this. He made it really clear. Right after Easter. So I pray this every day. Today. I will place my faith in you Jesus. And I will exercise. Your faith. In every situation. Relationship. I come across. Now, I do a really bad job at that, but I'm just learning. My guess would be if you start to pray that prayer and say, Jesus, I'm not just going to today put faith in you, which is a lot of times, you know, God, help me today. Help me be calm. Help me to do this. Help me do this. Now it's being offensive in a, in a not a negative way, in a taking the kingdom way that says, I am going to exercise the faith that you have and, and I don't know what that might be, but when you prompt me, I want to step out in faith. Cause I want to take the kingdom for you like you did, Jesus. That's who we are, folks. If you want to know who we are in Christ as a people, that's who we are. I am, I am convinced, folks, that as we move into the places that God has put us, He has put you right where you're at in relationships you're in, in the places you work, with the people around you, because he is watching and waiting and will help you carry his presence and exercise his faith in every one of those relationships. This is the truth. This is who we are going to be. We're all going to fail. We will fail as a church. But we're at a new beginning. We are not a church that's just trying to get by and making sure we have enough funds to do it and have some kids. All those things, are going. we're going to have all this stuff going on, but we are going to, because of what Jesus has said... Be Westgate. We will be a gate of the presence of God in this community and we will anticipate and expect change. It will take some mindset shifts for us. It will not be easy. When God began to shift Ephesus, so you don't realize this, but as Ephesus goes on, do you know that um, Jesus' mother Mary went there and so did John? There, uh, there's a whole bunch. It, it became a center for the work of God. There were things that were happening. Paul says even when it started, signs, wonders, and miracles happened. In fact, in, in I think it's Exodus chapter 19 verse 11 at one point, it says that God, Luke writes, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. People touched his handkerchiefs, you know, the, the things that when he was working on, on tents and the leather that he would wipe his face with, they touched and they were healed and, and these extraordinary miracles were happening and I just went wow what's an ordinary miracle <laughs> we're seeing God do things like that I remember and I'm going to read this to you because I think this is important and I'll conclude on this and I'm going to ask the worship band to come Here's some opening words from the Minneapolis Trib on July 14th, 2022, okay? This is summer. It started out like this. And it was, I I got it on my computer and it kind of came up and it came up in light letters and it would go down and then you'd read the next sentence. It was really well crafted. And it just went up. It said, they ranged from kindergartens to grandparents, but most were young men. They were teachers, students, veterinary technicians, and mechanics. Some were victims of stabbings or assaults. Most died by gun violence. They were victims of a grim toll, the most annual homicides in the Twin Cities in a generation, perhaps, ever. That's the mirror we're holding up. And a little bit later, out of all this anger and violence and, and desperation and hopelessness of our city, a little bit later, I'm frustrated with all the crime and the impossible task. That the police have in the city, the Minneapolis police spokesman Garnett or Garrett Parton said this. Here's what he said. We're asking for partners in the community. Those who can reach out to individuals with a propensity to violence and to speak with them. Police know there is no way to police yourself out of this surge in violence. The only way is to stand shoulder to shoulder as a community and work together to make a difference. So there's a guy, his name was Reverend Jerry McAfee. He was a part of a church called New Salem Church, and he started praying and was wondering one day when he was praying, he's saying, God, what would happen if we if, if we did something with the city around this stuff? And so he prayed about it, and he ended up meeting with some of the police, and the police met with him, and the police, as they talked about it, they said, you know what, there are four hot spots in the city where there is just all kinds of crime it's crime infested, there are drugs being sold, and there are just these indiscriminate shootings that happen in this area, and they're just killing us. And he said to McAfee, well, could you possibly maybe get some of these people in churches to to, to man those corners and pray? I, folks, catch that? It's what we all do. You know, and it's kind of like, oh, I can't handle this anymore. God, I guess I gotta pray. The city's saying this. We can't police this thing out. I guess we got to go to the church because maybe the church has someone who can help them. At least they'll put some people out there. And so these four hotspots gets manned by some churches. One of the churches that was really connected with McAfee when it was going on was Zion Baptist, the church that we've connected with we're just praying on Mondays all we were praying was we weren't going to do anything god just tell us what he wants to do we'll just pray and and after i got to tell you after about a year i'm going we got to do something and then also god leads in this way so he brings us with fellowship church and faith baptist church and zion baptist so that what we did now this is a year and a half ago from when this article was written and they started meeting on that corner of 36 and Lindale. And I remember the first time going down. They actually had some police presence. They had a camera and a monitor. I would go over there and, and one of my black brothers would lead me over there to talk to some of the, these younger guys. And you could see they got heat packed on them. I'm scared to death. We would walk from the church as a group in order to get there. A year and a half later, there was supposed to be 21 days of prayer. A year and a half later, every other week, that group still meets here, They give out food. They pray. They talk with people. They've actually had Target come down and do job stuff for them. Those, those people aren't there anymore. There hasn't been any shootings. There hasn't been hardly as much crime. People are starting to come out. They're excited about it. And that's merely because the church did something as simple as just went to a corner and met together and prayed. And I, I was talking to someone who has been involved in this. And I was talking about well, how we can influence and change. And that person said to me, no, no, here, here's the greatest change that's occurred. It's not what we've done even there. It's the change that's been occurring in our hearts. This person writes, when we started praying with Zion and Faith Baptist... We had no idea how it would change our cities, but more importantly, how we would change. I've truly never had a close friend who is black and thought, just because I live in an area where there are few people of color, it was okay for me not to care about that. And one of my new friends, who is black, also commented that he had pride around not needing any white people as friends. And this is how we entered into prayer together And now some two years later, we can truly say we are friends. We have worked together, cried together, shared stories of our families together, eaten meals together, learned to love one another. And through us, God changed a corner in North Minneapolis from a place of great fear to a place of growing peace and also changed me. We're going to sing this song, and then I'm going to invite us to take a moment to pray. So if you want to lead us in song, I'm going to be up here with you for that little bit. Is that okay? Can I sing with you? (laughs) Turn my mic off when I sing.